0: Welcome to the Do Good to Lead Well podcast. If you're passionate about mastering self-leadership, then you're in the right place. I have always been curious about and fascinated by the pursuit of leadership excellence. This is why I pursued my PhD in psychology with a specialization in business, and I've continued to dedicate my career to understanding the science and practice of positive leadership. My name is Craig Dowden. I'm a best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, and member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Each week, I'll bring you world-class content on the science and practice of positive leadership. Through my conversations with best-selling authors, TED speakers, and top CEOs, you'll be able to leverage their insights and experience so you can maximize your potential and be the leader the world needs you to be. Hello everyone and good afternoon. My name is Craig Dowden and I am thrilled uh, to have Dr. Francesca Gino from Harvard Business School here with us this afternoon. This webinar series was launched really around once COVID-19 came upon us back in March. I have the privilege in the work that I do to speak with best-selling authors, international thought leaders, CEOs like Francesca and, and learn so much through those conversations and what my desire was was to open this up to a wider audience and to really have a community conversation and 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 learn and share from each other and so just absolutely humbled that she her time (laughs) i can't even imagine the demands so really appreciate that you've taken some time here i'm going to give a quick bio for people i cannot i could spend an hour talking about her and her accomplishments i do want to set the stage So Dr. Gino is an award-winning researcher from Harvard Business School. She focuses on why people make the decisions they do at work and how leaders and employees can have more productive, creative, and fulfilling lives she's the author of rebel talent so please check it out A really really great book um, i have my copy and i've gone through it it's all highlighted so uh, which is wonderful why it pays to break the rules in work and in life she's also affiliated with the program on negotiation at harvard law the mind brain behavior initiative at harvard university the behavioral insight group at the harvard kennedy school she's been honored as one of the world's top 40 business professors under 40 one of the world's 50 most influential management thinkers by thinkers 50. she's been featured in the economist the new york times newsweek scientific american psychology today npr she just and uh, if you followed her at all i mean there are so many things i could almost do a separate webinar on each of the columns that she's written in various high profile publications and just to give you some context, Dr. Gino's gonna talk for about 20 to 25 minutes on curiosity, and then we'll open up the floor for questions. So without further ado, welcome. Thank you so, so much for coming back and sharing your insights with this audience.
1: It is such a pleasure, and it's also a pleasure to be talking about a topic that I'm very passionate about, quite connected to uh, the work that I've done on Rebel Talent. In fact, one of the main Rebel Talents is curiosity, and I think of it almost as a turbocharger since having it is quite, quite important. So what I want to do is share some stories, a little bit of research in there, and then really see what kind of questions might be on your mind. And the first story that I want to share, that is a story that some of you, uh, if you've heard me talk about Rebel Talent, you might have heard, but I'm going to take a little bit of a different spin on it. It's a story that comes from my Italian roots, from a three Michelin star restaurant in Modena, Italy. The name of the restaurant is Storia Francescana, and it's the restaurant that in 2016 became the best restaurant in the world. Now, what I find fascinating about this restaurant is that the owner and chef basically took traditional Italian dishes and reinvented them. So talk about curiosity and also courage, really, since it was going against traditional Italian dishes. So one that I'll always love to show and talk about is the crunchy part of the lasagna. So for those of you who had lasagna before, probably didn't look anything like the lasagna that you see here. So it takes traditional dishes, really reinvent them in quite creative, creative ways. And the story that I wanna tell you is a story that involves one of his shoes chefs. So his kitchen is very diverse. So there are persons um, working there from all sorts of spheres and parts of the world from Mexico, the US, Canada, uh, Japan, and also uh, some Italians. And one of the sous chefs who is the protagonist of the story that I want to share with you is Taka. That's how it's mm-hmm. known in the restaurant. Taka is Japanese, is obsessed with attention to details, is incredibly precise in everything that he does. And on a very busy night at Ostia Francescana, he was working on the last dessert of the night. It was a lemon tart. And as he was carefully arranging all the pieces on the plate, all of a sudden the tart dropped to the floor. And so you had a smash start. And in a lot of restaurants that I visited over the years, I can tell you that not only would have panicked, but even the team around him would have started panicking. After all, these are very expensive desserts. But what is interesting about the story is that at that moment, when he was almost starting to panic, Chef Massimo Bottura walked into the kitchen and saw the mistake. And rather than reacting as many other leaders in that moment who have reacted at a mistake, he looked at Taka and then he looked at the plate on the floor and then back at Taka and he said, Taka, I think we have a new idea for a new dessert. And sure enough, they came up with a new dessert. It's a deconstructed lemon tart and is now the most popular dish at the restaurant. This is the photo that I took when I visited the restaurant. And the name for this dessert is, oops, I dropped the lemon tart. Now, to me, this is just a perfect example of what this restaurant is all about. It's about keeping curiosity alive. In fact, even thinking about the reason why Chef Massimo Bottura opened the restaurant was by going to traditional Italian dishes and asking why, why is it that we cook the dishes this way? Maybe it made sense 20 years ago, but it doesn't make sense today. Mm -hmm. And so he came up with very different ways of uh, cooking dishes, keeping to some traditions, but definitely innovating quite a bit. And what I find fascinating is that he had to go against a lot because Italians are very, attached to their tradition especially when it comes to grammar the recipes that have been passed on for centuries in fact the way he described the experience is people fighting uh against him because they wanted the restaurant to close down now Mm. it took courage for him to go against something uh where people were pushing back and in showing not only in the way that he opened the restaurant but really in anything that it does that curiosity is important now I use this picture of a child here, because what's interesting is that curiosity is something that we're all born with. In fact, if you look at the data and it might surprise some of you, as it surprised me, curiosity peaks at the age of four and five, and then mm. it declines steadily from there, mm. steady decline. And by the way, I thought, well, maybe when we get into jobs that we love, curiosity is going to pop back up. And I was wrong. I collected lots of data across rules, industries, jobs, different parts of the world. And what you see is that when we start new jobs, usually curiosity is pretty high, some variation across jobs and industries. But when you go back to the same people, nine, ten months later, curiosity had dropped by at least 20% across the board. Wow. I want to give you a little bit more data that I think is going to... put some uh, thinking in your mind, at least that's what it did for me. This is from a survey that I conducted with over 3,000 people in different organizations across the globe. When you ask people what it is that curiosity does to organizations, basically most people recognize the value of curiosity. They understand, they believe that curiosity is truly important to satisfaction, motivation, innovation, higher level of performance. And in fact, when they think about who were the people who were responsible for great ideas that got implemented in their organizations, they will think about people who are naturally curious. But when you look at the same survey and Questions that we asked around I actually experience curiosity in my job or I face barriers to asking questions and being curious. The data I think is really striking because only 24% of the people who just recognize that curiosity is so important actually experience curiosity in their job. And about 70% of them say, you know what? I face a lot of barriers when it comes to being curious and asking questions. And to me, it leads to something really interesting that it's really and truly a missed opportunity. When mm. I think about what curiosity can do for us and for the organizations we work for, there is a lot <laughs> to add to the list. In fact, um, It clearly is an important component for more creativity, but it's also important for uh, better decision-making. It leads to better dynamics inside of teams. So more curiosity means lower group conflicts. There is more open communications in teams. There is better team performance. And also when we're curious, we develop much more diverse networks in our work and also in our personal life. And so the question that I wanna focus on is, given that all of this is true, and that the lack of curiosity is a missed opportunity, what it is that we can all do to change things around? And I wanna share a few ideas that I think are easy steps that we can all take to actually produce a meaningful change. Mm -hmm. And as I think about this, I wanna share with you a quote that comes from an artist and sculptor Michelangelo Buonarroti, so it's the Italian as, as well, so you see the bias a little bit. <laughs> but here's what Eve wrote about the sculpting process. This is something that really stayed with me when I first read the quote. He said, sculpting is a process whereby the artist releases an ideal figure from the block of stone in which it slumbers." Mm. And the reason why this really resonated with me is because what this tells us about the ways in which we can show our leadership or the way we can show up even as parents in our personal life, or even as friends or colleagues, is to think differently about where those opportunities for sculpting might be. The moment where we're reacting to the broken tart on the floor, and rather than getting mad at the person who made the mistake, we see an opportunity, we ask questions, we show curiosity. So let's talk about ways in which I think we can stay true to this idea of really providing an environment where curiosity stays alive. And the first idea that I want to share is uh, based on the fact that really curiosity, not only something we're born with or not, but can in fact be triggered, fostered, and encouraged. One place that comes to mind that does a lot of that is the Pixar Animation Studio. And they do think quite a bit about curiosity is an important ingredient in the work that they do in the way they come up with a lot of creativity in their movies. But they think a lot about role modeling the behavior of uh, for others. So for instance, if you look at some of the techniques that they use during their brainstorming sessions, there is a lot of asking questions and engaging with curiosity in the views or ideas that others put on the table. Rather than doing what most of us often do, which is we hear an idea that might be a little bit out there or maybe it's just different from our own way of thinking, we shut it down. Is the, hmm, interesting, but you actually think the idea is pretty bad. And so the first important ingredient is really to try to model this question Mm -hmm. asking going to others with a curious mind, wanting to understand their point of view and building on it rather than shutting down their ideas. Mm. Now, there is another important uh, strategy that we can use to keep curiosity alive. And I want to introduce this strategy by telling you about a different type of story. So it's not about a creative organization. It's about a moment of crisis. This is something that happened on a flight back in 2009. It was a very cold evening. Some of you might have heard of this flight since it became quite famous. It's a flight that saw as the captain on board, Captain Sally Sallenberger. And just after a few seconds, the flight took off from LaGuardia. the plane uh, basically ate a bunch of geese and so you now have a plane with no thrust in either engine. And what's interesting is that Captain Sally Salenberger took that moment of crisis and did something very different from what most of us would have done under a lot of pressure, under a lot of anxiety, he only had 208 seconds to make a decision. Most of us would have gotten to the most obvious answer. In that case, land at the closest airport. He didn't. He actually started considering a lot of questions. He asked himself, what could I do? Rather than saying, what should I do? So he kept considering alternatives. What's beautiful is that if you were like I did to read the accident report, where you see the conversation as it was happening in those moments, he kept considering alternatives. Rather than going into tunnel vision, he's broadening his perspective. In a way that again, given especially that he was under a moment of crisis, was rather unusual. And I'm telling you this story because an important strategy that we can all use is really broadening the perspective and always asking this could type of question. When I had the chance to learn about this accident, I was so impressed that I reached out to him. And what I discovered in talking to him is that by by the time the accident happened, he had a lot of experience under his belt over 30,000 hours of flying experience. He had experience working for the military, so experience flying all sorts of planes. He served as a volunteer to study previous accidents. So lots of information about what can go wrong on plane. And yet, he got into the habit of asking himself a very simple question every time he got on board and walked into the cockpit. And that was, what do I stand to learn today? So it's a beautiful example of broadening perspective and always putting an emphasis on learning goals in addition Mm -hmm. to performance goals. This is something that I think it's very low hanging fruit. All of us have have developmental plans in our work. We often have clear performance objectives. We should add some learning goals in addition Mm -hmm. to those. Now, there is a third strategy that I want to tell you about. And in this case, we're going to travel back to Italy for a moment, but we're going to go back to the 60s. The picture that you see here is the picture of Adriano Olivetti, a man, a leader who really impressed me. Uh, he ended up becoming the CEO of the organization that his father founded. And that was an organization that is known for being the first manufacturer of typewriters in Italy Mm -hmm. and is a man who brought about quite a bit of change when he took over as the CEO. So one of the things that stood out to me as I learned about his action is the fact that right after spending some time in the manufacturing plant, he took over as the CEO and he decided to have a two-hour break for lunch rather than the usual regular one-hour break. And he did that to say one hour is for lunch, the other one is to eat culture. And he had this uh, 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 way of using that second hours to invite poets and musicians and novelists so that people working in the factory could expand their mind. Uh, could think differently about potential interests that they might develop. And so, in everything that he did as a leader, he was trying to find opportunities to keep curiosity alive. He also had a, almost a library inside of the organization. With, thousands of books and magazines and people could go there uh, during the second hours or other times during the work day. Now this is in a sense uh, an old example since it comes from the 60s. I think it makes it even more interesting given that that was the time of Taylorism and Fordism but there are definitely more <laughs> current examples. Another one that is an Italian example is that of Brunello Cuccinelli we are now in the high fashion industry, he gives his employees what he calls a cultural budget. So he pays Mm -hmm. if they wanna go to museums or basically expands your interest in a way that truly gets at these ideas of not just doing the work that you do, but really broaden what you're interested in, whether it's related to work or not, because that fundamentally can keep curiosity live. There is a final aspect of curiosity and a final strategies that I want to tell you about that is connected to this idea of doing something really simple that we all can do and it's linked back to this idea of modeling inquisitiveness. One way we can do that is by asking why questions or what if type questions more often. There is a story from the general managers at one of the hotels in Istanbul who came to the regular meetings that he had with the team where they would discuss what to plant in the vases that goes into the customer's room and for one of the meetings he decided to approach it a little bit differently and said but what if instead of planting flowers as usual we went into a different direction And after a lot of brainstorming, they decided that what they wanted to do is to actually plant vegetables. And then they Mm. created these interesting connections with the restaurant in the hotel and customers could basically see in the dishes in the restaurant some of their own produces out of their own rooms. And so it's a reminder of the fact that a lot of the times, we have this opportunity to ask what if or "Why" type of questions more often. This is something that I took quite seriously as I was working with the large Canadian banks um, a while back, and they were interested in methods that they could use to raise curiosity. And the reason why they had this interest is that in some preliminary research that we had done with them, where we surveyed a lot of their employees, we had discovered that curiosity was behind how well people move throughout their careers inside of the bank but also how well they performed on the job and they were performing well and moving uh, nicely throughout their careers because their networks were wider and more diverse thanks to their own curiosity and so the bank came back to us and said okay but some people have more curiosity than others how would it trigger curiosity in the moment. And so we had an intervention with them that was very simple based on an email that we sent out to the employees participating. And we did that for three weeks. And the email was a simple one. It was trying to raise curiosity in the moment. I actually have the text to show you how simple things are. And the one at the top is the curiosity intervention that we use. We were asking people to just think about activities or topics that they were curious about that day. And to go through life on that particular day, asking more white type questions. And what we found after this intervention, knowing from uh, a lot of the data that the bank shared with us, including data on email exchanges, that people who received that intervention, those emails who asked them to be more curious, were better able to reach out to people even outside of their functions. Their Mm. curiosity brought them to connect with others differently. And so their networks were broader and they were also much more diverse. And that was important because it led to better performance. Whenever they needed help, that people were ready to support them because they were connected to them. And so one important strategy that I think these stories and examples speak to is this important of having the why or what if or how might we type of days. And you might not necessarily go with the idea of uh, the emails, but it's really putting this new habit of not just taking things for granted, but bringing curiosity back into the equation. Part of the reason why I got so interested in curiosity is because I took on almost a strange hobby over the last few years. I spent a lot of my time talking to leaders, employees in a variety of organizations. And on my visits, I would sometimes go in with a set of cynical eyes. I would try to look for processes or systems or ways of working that in my mind, especially to the eyes of a person who doesn't work there, made very little sense. They didn't seem to have a good reason for being there. And then I started asking questions, why is it that you do things that way? And the answer really surprised me because it was always the same. We have always been doing it this way. It's that type of thinking that gets us into taking usual ways of working for granted rather than keeping our curiosity live and having that type of eagerness that we used to have when we were little kids of pushing boundaries and asking questions. Mm. So I'm gonna leave you with the final image, which is an image of a story that again comes from the book Rebel Talent and a story that I love to tell, especially in a world like the one we're living through today. And it's the image of pirate ships in the 16th century. Uh, I ended up spending quite a bit of time studying them because as an organization, they were really fascinating for two main reasons. One is that at a time when it was about 200 years before slavery ended in the United States, they were actually the most diverse organization on the planet. And so just for that, I think they get a lot of credit. They were getting people on board based on their commitments and their skills, not because of race or gender. But importantly, they were also organized in an interesting way. So the crew was in charge of choosing the captain Mm. and the crew could also easily remove the captain if the captain was not behaving well towards the crew. That's the interesting part. Because I think he led the captain to ask a very simple question on a day-to-day basis. Do I deserve this job? And so similarly, when I think about ways and opportunities I have to not only retain my curiosity alive, but help others do the same as a leader, as a parent, I have come to ask myself a simple question, which is, am I the type of captain that my crew would choose as his leader? today. And I think if we ask that question more often, we're going to be better positioned to create the connections and where we're using these strategies and helping ourselves and others stay more curious. So I want to hand here, give you all sorts of ways to think about how to reach out to me since part of the reason why I love to uh, give webinars like this one is that I get to connect to interesting people and interesting leaders. But I'll stop um, showing my screen so that we can have a conversation about some of the ideas that we discussed.
0: That's fantastic. And thank you. And just so everyone knows, and I've read multiple comments already about how interesting this is, uh, Dr. Gino has has kindly agreed to take questions, so please chime in. There are so many questions that I have and love all of the research that you share and then those the practical how you apply that in practice i'm curious as you say we're we're navigating through an extraordinary time what opportunities do you see in terms of from a curiosity perspective how curiosity can serve organizations its leaders and our society as we continue to navigate through covid-19
1: so i think that curiosity can be helpful at least in two major ways. One is in preparing us to have a better mindset towards the crisis. So, data that I haven't mentioned that uh, is part of projects I've been part of more recently shows that when we experience curiosity, we also experience less stress we are more likely Mm. to adopt the mindset that stress is enhancing rather than paralyzing. And so I can't think Mm -hmm. of a better moment than now to actually feel that way towards anxiety and stress. And second, when I think about this crisis that looked like initially as a sprint and now is becoming a marathon, I really think Mm. it's gonna require us to come back with our creativity and innovative ideas because we're gonna go back to something that is gonna look different. And that require us to bring that curiosity forward. So those are the main reasons why I think this is exactly the right moment where we should be thinking very carefully about curiosity
0: that's great well there's a question from tara saying that's really interesting about the link between stress and curiosity i would assume that it's the opposite that stress might undermine curiosity so what's happening there uh, in in that research
1: so part of it is um, that what curiosity allows us to do is to start from a different set of assumptions so for example, uh, rather than thinking that we already have the answers, we want to reach out to others to seek to understand. In fact, mm. if I were to list another reason um, from this new ways of working where we're often home, we don't have the chance to bump into each other the same way that we used at work, it might create more tension than usual. And when we have Mm -hmm. this curiosity in us, rather than just, you and I just had bad interactions and so I'm going to put it away and code it as such, curious people are going to reach out to you and say, okay, let's talk that through. Uh, How do we make sense of it? And rather than just making assumptions, maybe you just had a bad day and that was uh, something that translated into your behavior.
0: Mm, That's great. Lots of, I'm going to try my best to keep up with questions. So Hello, Francesca. Love the book and couldn't help thinking, as a coach specialized in ADHD while reading it, that rebels sound like they have ADHD. It has been documented that lower levels of neurotransmitters make you more impulsive, creative, and tend to anti conformity. What do you think? Could it be the brain chemistry rather than personality? Thank yes. You.
1: So, very good question. So, it's something that I haven't looked at. However, one of the and and so I, I, I might actually do some research on this in the future, since it's something that has been brought up now to me a couple of times. Uh, but what I often say is that in the recipe of the rebels, there is curiosity, there is perspective, mm-hmm. there is diversity, there is novelty, um, and there is authenticity. And. Mm-hmm often what we fail to realize is the importance of perspective, because perspective is that ingredient that allows you to come to the table and say, okay, I might have a very different ideas of how to cook this traditional dishes, but I come in with respect for what's there, and then I try to build on it. In fact, when I think of rebels who have taken it too far, Is because Mm -hmm. they sort of left the perspective to the side. And so all this genuine interest in pushing things forward, sometimes maybe the frustration that things weren't changing fast enough became arrogance. Mm. And effective Mm. rebels are not arrogant people.
0: They're actually quite
1: humble, as the story of Captain Sally Sullenberger shows.
0: Which I love, and I think it's so powerful. I love your example as well in terms of how it, how curiosity broadens our perspective and then opens up. And I really love that in terms of like consider multiple rather than like narrowing, it broadens that. And then you have a much more diverse palette of options to choose from. So love that. Another question.
1: Sorry, very quickly. Difficult to do, very difficult to do, especially when we believe we are the experts. It was part of the story about him that that so much surprised me because I have been talking and also teaching to a lot of leaders and I understand the human tendency where you have a big title and a lot of expertise and experience. You just want to say, I have the answer. And captain Sally Salenberger teaches us that the more we know, the more there is to learn. I love that.
0: I fully, and it's interesting. I've interviewed some of the top CEOs and just to build on what you're saying, one of the things they say like i had a ceo on with a global organization, 120,000 employees and they asked him a question he was like wow that's really interesting i don't know i'm going to get the answer to that like in this live web and it's incredible the the times i hear people talk about the curiosity the humility that comes with it so i i love this discussion uh there's another question <laughs> there's so many coming through uh can there be a proven relationship between company revenue growth and curiosity. Just wondering, like, is there any evidence that you know of around revenue and curiosity within organizations?
1: Uh, So I'm gonna mention a link that uh, it's maybe a step removed, but but that's research that I think is very well done, actually quite complex to to do. And it's research that Jenny Chapman, who's a professor of organizational behavior at Berkeley, together with colleagues, As Mm -hmm. done on cultures that value curiosity. And in particular, Mm -hmm. often what you see in the value statement is something around innovation or adaptability. And what she found by using uh, data from high-tech firms during the last uh, financial crisis back in 2008, is that the company who thrived through the crisis are actually the company who placed their values on these ideas around curiosity, so adaptability and innovation. And so I think that that's quite um, inspiring uh, for that type of link, so not quite direct, but.
0: Uh, well, I love that, and then the the uh, transferability to our current situation in terms of as we navigate through this current uh, crisis. There was another question around: Is there a link between curiosity and the level of psych- psychological safety in an organization?
1: Yes, so uh, that's a research in progress that I have, so not, nothing published yet, uh, and mm-hmm. I think it's a really important one. And again, it goes back to this idea of when we are curious, we try to seek to understand rather than judging. In fact, mm-hmm. years ago, uh, as a Christmas present for my husband, I I bought for us um, a, class a series of classes actually was a 10-week course in improv comedy and going through that experience actually taught me a lot uh, and a lot of ideas that can be applied to leadership and our own life much more generally and one of the core ideas of improv is that judgment and curiosity can't coexist and so if you think how to bring that back to the workplace it's actually quite telling Every time we have Mm -hmm. brainstorming sessions, the number of times I have participated in some or observed them where, again, you come up with an idea, doesn't sound like mine, and I'm ready to say, yeah, but here are the 17,000 reasons why this is not going to work, or no, because here are all the reasons, or maybe we just, I just roll my eyes. I just think that the idea is not great. And so what I think uh improv does teach us with this idea of curiosity and judgment can coexist is to engage with whatever it is that is different seeking to Mm. understand building on it and if you think about it what that does psychologically is very different because if i were the one who had the courage to speak my mind and now you're engaging with the idea next time around I'm gonna come back to you suggest more ideas that's psychological safety but if I'm Mm -hmm. the one who suggested an idea and you just shut it down or you rolled your eyes next time I think I'm gonna keep my mouth shut especially if we're in a situations where you clearly have more power than I do.
0: Right. Well, and there was a, a comment made that uh, some inspiring examples of curiosity that you talked about in your presentation, and then they were more in an entrepreneurial environment. What it, What is it do you think that affects that kind of that stifling of curiosity in larger, larger organizations and how can senior leaders, chief executives uh, prevent that from happening? Mm-hmm.
1: So two things that comes from some of the work that I've done. One is really a matter of mindset. Somehow Mm. we have this mindset that if we let curiosity be alive, that we're going to end up with pure chaos in our hands. I just don't think that's true. Leaders who have created environments or foster environments where curiosity stays alive are very clear on where the limits or boundaries might be. And so people who work on those organizations know exactly when it's time to be curious, ask questions, slow down, versus I'm gonna implement press on the accelerator. And so I don't see that mindset in a lot of the leaders I meet, Um, and if you Mm want to take on that mindset, then being 100% clear and transparent where the limits might be is very important. Mm -hmm. And second, um, I think that there is also the idea that often when we climb up the organizational ladder, it's almost as if curiosity is squeezed out. ourselves and we are taught to conform Mm. and get used to the usual way of working in a way that, unfortunately, when we are the one in leadership position, we tend to
0: reinforce. Right. Well, and one point that you made that I think is so powerful and important is around that boundary setting. And and I think that is because absolutely in the conversations that I've had as well, it's almost like, so what are what are the boundaries? And when you establish those, the clarity that that provides, then you can unleash that creativity, that curiosity in in a in a really productive way. So I, I love that. Uh, love that comment. Oh, oh go ahead.
1: I, I also have an additional uh, point to make here that is important is our own state when we are the person who wants to ask a question and often what i see is this fear that you're going to judge me negatively because maybe i'm asking a question that is stupid right and we are so off like what's beautiful about kids uh in the way they express their curiosity is that they have zero fear of judgment zero they don't think about what is my mom going to say if i ask this question they just don't and it's as we grow older that those fears pile up in a way that really shut down our curiosity
0: mm, that's fantastic and i i think that's such a a a, a very powerful piece uh here's another question so <laughs> they keep coming in in your research do you find certain functions hr versus let's say tech it score higher on levels of curiosity than others and why do you think that is? So are there almost sector differences, I guess, or functional differences within an yeah. organization?
1: It, it's interesting. When I, uh, when the book came out now in May of 2018, I put a test on the website that is free. Uh, it's called The Rebel Test, so people can find it at www.rebeltalents.org. And as it turns out, um, people did find a test and they thought it was helpful. So there are now something like over 90,000 people who have taken the test. Uh, And since I was trying to be helpful and letting people know what kind of rebels they have, so they are so much curiosity comes naturally to them versus not and giving them feedback. I didn't add any question whatsoever. So a smart way to capture that would have been to at least add the question of, tell me which role you have or in which part of the world you work. Um, And so I thought a lot about that. um, And so I might add those dimensions going forward so that I can be um, able to answer the questions that you just asked. So I, I don't know. I do think that some type of functions or even organizational cultures might be better than others at encouraging uh, these Mm. type of strategies that we talked through, and so I wouldn't be surprised as long as leaders and the people in them stay true to the strategy to see differences uh, Mm. in, in
0: curiosity. Well, I have another, again, this is why I was so excited about our conversation. Another question, as an extension to boundary setting around curiosity within the context of the workplace, can you build structure into curiosity or does that then limit the power of curiosity
1: different from what we believe having some constraints is actually good for our curiosity and ways of being creative there. So uh, we sort of believe that with pure freedom, that's when we're gonna be the most creative. It's it's actually not the case. Constraints can serve mm. us well when it comes to using curiosity, asking questions, and come up with innovative solutions. So
0: that's fantastic. Well, uh, thank you. Um, oh, here's <laughs> what are your thoughts on the link between mind wandering and curiosity? Huh.
1: <laughs> So you're now giving me an idea for future research. I have not uh, looked at that. Um, interesting
0: question. Look at that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So stay tuned for the stay for the research paper research
1: coming your way. The thing is that I'm, I I would say is that it's hard for me to think about context where you want to say curiosity is not for me. In fact, right. I've looked hard. Um, even in the case more broadly about constructive rebelliousness, people say it's not for me because some of the feedback was, uh, and it might apply also to curiosity. Well, if you're really a large organization, you can't do this. I don't think right. that's true. In fact, if I think about Microsoft is a great example, who really adopted a learning it all type of mindset when the new CEO came in and right. they they thrived thanks to that or companies that are more more bureaucratic than others or where change doesn't happen that easily. And I often mention an organization that I actually ended up writing an HBS case study on of a group in the Air Force. And so Mm. if I think about organizations where really the mantra is do not rock the boat, Clearly, they would come to mind where the mantra is, there is a lot of hierarchy, bureaucracy, et cetera. And yet, yeah, it took one leader to come into this particular group. It's a squadron of pilots who fly spy planes. So they go 70,000 feet above the ground to take intelligent pictures. It, take, it took one leader to come in and say, we need to do things differently. He was very clear on the mission to get his squadron ready for combat. He was also very clear on the boundaries. He asked everyone to go and study regulation in great detail and then innovate and show curiosity within those boundaries. And if you actually Mm -hmm. look at the number of great innovations and projects that came out of that group over the last few years, it's pretty impressive. And Mm -hmm. so I think what I take away from that story is that, Change due to our curiosity can happen really everywhere, but we need to be those leaders who look at our situations and say, Well, am I might not like this, am I might not like that, but you don't sit and wait for somebody to change the things for you. You take action within the sphere of influence that mm. you can act upon. And in his case, it was a squadron. Right. We all mm. are actors of change or people who can bring curiosity out in us and also in others
0: that's fantastic well and i had a follow-up so the person said happy to join you in that research with a smiley face (laughs) and asked are there any links between curiosity and trust Hmm. Uh,
1: so here is the something that I have observed, and I now have some preliminary research, well actually good research that suggests that this is the case. This was the observation that struck me, observing a lot of uh, conflicts happening in organizations. And in talking to people who were part of these disagreements, one of the things that I've noticed is that often people would say, let's imagine you and I are having a conflict, and you start saying, well, Craig, you know what, is not as committed to the cause as I am, or even worse, uh, is not as smart as I am, or not as capable. And then they basically kept their point of view, the conflict kept on going. Versus, if you start in that moment, showing your curiosity, then the narrative is very different because you say, well, You're as committed as I am, you are as competent, if not more than me. So why is it that your view is so different than mine? And that curiosity Mm -hmm. brings you to engage with that conversation and that person quite differently. And so that's why you see conflict resolution happening more easily with curiosity. In that process, you're also building more trust.
0: Right. well, and one of the and there's just so many wonderful as I mentioned articles that you wrote and uh, during this period, and one that struck me and it's a nice lead into that question because I I just loved how you frame this concept, and it was an article you wrote in Scientific American around the right way to talk across divides, and you talked about conversational receptiveness, and I was like that's one of the coolest terms <laughs> I've heard. All year, and it's per- and I look for every opportunity. So I would encourage everyone to check out that amazing article. Can you share that the research and how that enables conversation, which is so important today more yeah. than ever before?
1: So I had the privilege and pleasure of working on this project with Julia Minson and others parts of the team. But Julia gets the credit for for the liberal receptiveness and. It is research that looks at situations where we engage with others who disagree with us. And Mm -hmm. there are some interesting case studies, so you can think about uh, Democrats and Republicans, but all spheres of life. And conversational receptiveness is features that we use in our language to signal receptivity. And as it turns out, we believe that that's not a good approach to... Use during conflicts, but in fact, it leads to conflict resolution much more quickly. And mm-hmm. using conversational receptiveness means actually showing that willingness to understand the other side. In fact, there is a acknowledgement of the position of the other side and thanking them for bringing that forward. And then there is questions that you ask to understand them better, as well as bringing your positions forward. And what's most fascinating to me about this work that we've done on conversational receptiveness is that we analyze real conversation as they're happening in conflict. So it's interesting that we can put our fingers on the features of language, but receptiveness is contagious. So if I decide to show up and use conversational receptiveness and you and I are in a conflict, you're gonna be more receptive as well. So that's great. But also, being receptive help us be more persuasive. So right. despite the fact that it's not the road that we choose, we end up being much more persuasive if that was the approach that we in fact used in our conversations and conflicts.
0: For sure, and one of the things that I love is that it is it's a counterintuitive idea, and yet the power and I love that, and again, please check it out, and this is why you want to go to her website and follow uh, Dr. Gino's work. Is that, and then the concrete tips that were included within there, so that we could not only understand what that means, how I can, when I, you know, when we leave the webinar, go out today and start exhibiting conversa- uh, conversational receptiveness. I have another question from James, um, and he was asking. So I'm a senior leader in an organization, and I'm coaching my team through tremendous challenge. So what advice would you have to me for me in terms of how I approach that? during this extraordinary period?
1: So a lot of the things that I said earlier actually apply here in terms Mm -hmm. of uh, let's not make assumptions, let's ask questions. I think that way too often we have all a bunch of assumptions in our heads let's not do that. And in fact, when it comes to interacting with others, uh, even when they have different opinions, let's just try to investigate, ask questions, rather than just not giving them the benefit of the doubt. But then I also wonder um, about the possibility of using our curiosity to reach out to others and build a more solid and diverse network because that can Mm. be really powerful at a moment of change. That to me was one of the most beautiful insights coming out of the research uh, with the bank that I shared with you. The people actually walked through their careers much more easily because of the networks that they constructed, thanks to the curiosity. And we already knew that having diverse network is really important to someone's career. But now we saw a really concrete factor, our own curiosity, that can help us get there
0: hmm, that's fantastic well thank you this is great i've had a bunch of comments someone just said thank you for an outstanding conversation so this is fantastic uh, oh here we go <laughs> so this is i guess a tactical i'm uh, actually an mba i'm aspiring to get into an mba uh, what qualities should i possess to get into the the program potentially at harvard so <laughs>
1: Yeah, so the one thing that I would mention that uh, I would keep in mind and I actually wrote a Wall Street Journal um, piece recently on this idea on career advice is a different talent of the rebels and is authenticity. Often, when it comes to interviews, what we try to do is to cater to the expectations of the person interviewing us and what we found in our research is that that's a very common approach so we cater to the other person's expectation is also the wrong one if you want the job authenticity is much better because it lowers our level of anxiety and it also makes us feel less strategic about our intent and what we're doing and so to the question of what are your major weaknesses don't say i'm a perfectionist just comment on a tough situations where you might not have acted as well as the opportunity offered but how that offered the moment of reflection that helped you think differently about your behavior or who you are so i would bring out authenticity
0: that's amazing thank you uh and uh, so we're i can't we're almost out of time it's phenomenal and i want to be respectful of your time one one of the articles that you wrote, and it's a conversation I have with a lot of my executive clients and organizations, and it was your recent uh, article in Harvard Business called Lessons from a Working Mom on Quote Unquote Doing It All. Can I just, every, every sentence in that, I just, I, I'm forwarding it to everybody that I know because it just, it, speaking of authenticity, it just linked beautifully. Can you share a couple of, of the nuggets and what inspired you to take such an authentic and, and open approach with people? It's it's just fantastic.
1: So thank you. It's actually a piece that they wrote quite easily. It really came out as you saw it on paper. And I'm going to record my big biggest career accomplishment uh, is to have put the word underwear in the piece so uh into hbr but the reason why i wrote it is that i was so surprised by probably the most frequent observations that i've gotten over the last few months since the lockdown and the pandemic and it was the observation of i don't know how you do it so true i have uh, my work, I'm a professor, I'm a consultant, I do corporate training, I'm also a mom of four, I have a remarkable husband that I'm trying to keep up with. And this, every time I I heard, I don't know how you do it, I was just like, I just don't. (laughs) I really don't. Uh, I think life is messy in all sorts of ways that it didn't used to be before. But I started reflecting on what it is that I'm doing that might be different. Uh, In terms of allowing me to arrive at the end of the day happy rather than dissatisfied, and so the one of the strategies actually reframing our expectations, and rather than going for perfection, let's let's go for happiness. I remind myself of that every single day, and I think it comes at an interesting point in time where again, if you look at the data, this desire for perfection has been rising. And so I think that this is a great moment to stop and reflect and say, okay, maybe that's not the right standard to shoot for, especially now. Let's go for something that allows us to be happy. And the last strategy uh, that I mentioned in the piece is actually finding time for laughter, especially at a time of crisis. And if we think about also the horrific news that we have been hearing when it comes to racial injustice, it's a lot to take in. But we shouldn't forget about laughter. And I found laughter in very simple moments where... I thought I could choose that instead of feeling a sense of grief or feeling a sense of tension. So one of the things that apparently resonated with people is um, my uh, talking very openly about the fact that after a few weeks of lockdown, sometimes I would find myself in these situations of conflict with my lovely half over things that made no sense. Like, why is it that you left the dish right close to the dishwasher um, rather than in the dishwasher? Really the simplest thing and situations where I wouldn't have aired the criticism uh, at another time. And so we had this idea, actually, I credit my husband for having it, of dancing goofily every time you want to give criticism to another person. And so a moment that used to be a moment of conflict and tension became a moment of, of laughter.
0: Well, and I love that on so many levels in terms of exactly, you know, like during these really challenging times, finding the humor, finding the positive, finding things and and that linking to well. And I love that link as well with the curiosity and the reframing. Let's look. So how could we look at going back to what you were saying earlier? How could I look at this situation? What options do I have in front of me? And how can I react as a result of that? And I think that's a beautiful way. Um, one final question I'm curious about, what's a, a lesson you've learned about yourself during this during this time? What's been a personal revelation for you?
1: So a personal revelation that might not be so uh, breakthrough is that um, I don't love traveling as much as I thought I did. Ah. <laughs> Uh, so uh the it has it, been quite interesting actually it appreciating um the small parts of life that i often don't see because i'm either in the office or or on the road so i think it brought around a lot of reflections in terms of making sure that uh i think differently about how i spend my time um and right. that traveling lots of hours for something that lasts 30 minutes might be something that on zoom is equally effective
0: and it's so amazing because that's one of the conversations that i've had with so many some ceos that i work with and they will say family dinners as an example and things that i would miss being in an airport on a plane in a hotel and just this has created so it's a wonderful again reminder of that i I just want to say you know the last this has just been so so many comments coming through the level of interest and engagement and curiosity about what you're going to say is extraordinary you're always so generous with your time and, and and to come back and share your amazing insights i've learned so much through our conversation and through your work and again i would highly recommend everyone go to your Website, because you're just one of the uh, international leaders in terms of driving evidence-based practice in so many different areas of our lives. So thank you for all of your work. Any final words before we close this down on a Monday afternoon?
1: So Dawn, fear being judged, be curious. And then I wanna end with by, by being a great thank you for, to you for organizing this and for the very, very generous
0: words. Oh, you're, you're well, I can't wait to go out and start dancing goofily <laughs> next time that I'm uh, yeah thinking about uh, having a reaction. So I have so much. Everyone's coming in saying how awesome this was and, and how inspiring your words. So thank you to everyone for taking the time to to, uh, join in on this conversation. As I said, please go uh, to Dr. Gino's website and just stay on top of everything that she does. And uh, so thank you so, so much and uh, stay well. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Do Good to Lead Well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can follow me on Twitter at Craig Dowden or reach out via LinkedIn or email info at craigdowden.com. I look forward to meeting you here next week for another transformational episode.